show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Experience, business, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Consumer first health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all, come on, let's go. New choices, new platforms, new care models. In the healthcare of tomorrow, consumers win. But who will design it? What will it look like? And how long will it take? We're here to answer those questions with some provocative thinking about how to create the healthcare that people actually want. Ready to roll up your sleeves, look at the world a little differently, and explore the frontiers of consumer health together? Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back. I'm Jared Johnson from Shift Forward Health, and here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about level setting what we believe about consumer transformation. Why is it helpful to periodically calibrate around a set of key ideas, and how might we use those ideas to innovate around consumers' needs at scale in meaningful ways? I'll talk about that. Then Dean Browell joins us to discuss the role of digital ethnography in building our consumer muscles. Consumer-centered innovation starts by understanding people's needs and expectations, and Dean explains how effective voice-of-the-customer research can guide our efforts. Lots to talk about, so it's time to dive right in. Are you ready? Let's go. Flavor of the Week. It's helpful to periodically recalibrate ourselves around a few key ideas. It helps us regain focus and build consensus in areas that help us have the greatest potential impact. When we talk about consumer transformation, we're not referring to things that are short-term, familiar, or easy to measure for most of the industry yet. We're talking about long-term evolutions in culture and leadership that fly in the face of the way that the business of healthcare has been done in many ways for more than a century. We haven't used the word revolutionary as much lately, but that's exactly what this is. Consumer transformation is a revolution, a direct challenge to the status quo. Business as usual doesn't work if we are to innovate around consumers' needs at scale in ways that meaningfully address their needs and expectations. That's why it's helpful to periodically level set, not only to align our efforts, but to look back and see some progress. Let's review 10 big ideas about consumer transformation. Two to three years ago, these statements were revelations to most of the industry. If they seem mundane or redundant now, it means we're making progress. Number one, the business systems underlying most healthcare encounters were not designed with consumers in mind. Number two, most consumers don't understand the complexity of healthcare and they don't care. They just want the experience to be more accessible and affordable. Number three, there's space for both traditional provider organizations and disruptors. Both can play parts in the ecosystem and have inherent advantages and disadvantages. Number four, quality primary care can come from entities outside of healthcare, including retailers, payviders, and digital health startups. No single entity can address all of the gaps in affordability and accessibility. Number five, consumerism doesn't just mean people have choices. It means that they have expectations, and those expectations may or may not be met by the traditional provider, payer, hospital-centric model. Number six, improving the consumer experience does not have to come at the expense of the provider's experience. We can and should improve both at the same time. Number seven, many health systems are bought into the idea that removing friction and designing more consumer-centered experiences can be a competitive advantage and are in need of resources and community to support them in those efforts. Number eight, the collective offerings from retailers, digital health startups, and payviders are affecting consumers' expectations. Number nine, we may not agree on what to call a consumer and who's a disruptor, but we can all agree that healthcare is changing. 
And number 10, it doesn't have to be inconvenient, opaque, inaccessible, and unaffordable to experience high-quality healthcare. Let's continue to talk about these big ideas and how to operationalize a more consumer-minded version of healthcare. That's another way that we'll build the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the flavor of the Week. All right, everyone, let's get into the flow. Give it up for Dean Browell, Chief Behavioral Officer of Feedback. Welcome, Dean, to the Healthcare App. Hey, thanks so much for having me. You know, you're one of these that we were just speaking about how we have these orbits and those orbits often intersect and there are just sometimes a lot of intersections with people. So you'll have to forgive me for taking this long to have you on, but I'm so excited. Let's start with a little bit about you, Dean. What did I miss I listed you by title, but there's so much more to you. So tell us what would you like our listeners to know about you and your background? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So Dean Brown feedback. I'm one of the co-founders of the company. So started, helped started 13 years ago. You know, we've been at this market research, but very specifically, you know, applying ethnography in an online space. So really anthropology and social listening. And that's what we've been at for, you know, like I said, 13 years, sort of sharpened my, my stick and my PhD days for that, really focused on generational differences, you know, real early on with my PhD work, and then really just stumbled into, hey, all this behavior is online. Why don't we why don't we use some tried and true methods to really listen deeply? And so that's what uh, worked on in my PhD work. I was on the agency side for about two seconds and then, <laughs> then started feedback and that's been the sandbox we've been able to play ever since. Ooh, I love it. And uh, we won't go too deep in the the agency stint there. But I would love to hear just career-wise, especially with those who have, you know this probably better than just about anybody, it is a roller coaster ride to start a business, put yourself out there, and to really build something up into something the size and scope, just the influence of what you're doing right now. I'm sure along the way, there's been some career advice that has stuck with you or that just led you in a certain direction. Is there anything that comes to mind in terms of one of those good pieces of career advice that you've received along the way? Yeah, I think two things are going to come to mind. One is, and I actually already inadvertently used the term, but but build your own sandbox. And by that, really what what my, my friend at the time, my, my real mentor said was, look, you've got something here that's very, very interesting and it's something that's worth pursuing and it's not worth putting yourself in a different shape to not pursue. In other words, create... If there's something that you're truly interested in, you know, make a sandbox where it's some, a place where you can play and stop trying to kind of conform yourself into, uh, into a position that may or may not be, be right for you. And I think part of that, it's, you know, it's a little bit of like pursue your passion kind of, kind of thing, but it's also about giving yourself room to, to continue to learn and continue to explore. And I'm really lucky in that. I mean, everything we do. Every project we do, I'm like learning. It's not. It's not that I'm, you know, this massive brain that knows the answers before we get into a research project. It's, you know, I get to learn as we go, and I think really being able to follow that has been great. And the last little piece I would just say is is advice my dad gave me a long time ago. I know it's a saying. I think other people I've heard say in different ways, but luck favoring the prepared mind. It's not to say that there is no such thing as luck, but it's the idea of being ready to take advantage of the opportunities when they present themselves. And when you combine those two, right, like both being prepared to take advantage of the opportunities and, you know, make a sandbox for yourself, you may find that you can 
find that way and do what really is meaningful to you and uh, and really make an impact. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get into a couple of things here, Dean, because as you know, a lot of our listeners here are recognizing that we're having a moment in the industry right now. And that moment is a recognition. A conversation is changing. The conversation is a recognition that, oh yeah, like we do need to figure out some things about the consumers that we're serving. And we need to do that not at the expense of the clinicians on our team, but we need to do that in a way that maybe actually can be a competitive advantage, or maybe it can at least drive some of our revenue recovery instead of just thinking it's something that that's so far out there in the sandbox that we don't know how to apply it. I, I know the, the types of healthcare organizations that you work with, when it comes to voice of the consumer research, maybe you can even define that a little bit for us in terms of what's involved uh, from your standpoint. And then can you guide us to some of the the places where healthcare organizations are doing well or they're improving or just having some success? Yeah, absolutely. I think the way I often break things down is to say, you know, there's what consumers or really anyone, whether we're talking about any audience, right? There's what they're saying when you prompt them and then there's what they're doing unprompted. You know, for example, people love the NPS score, the net promoter score, you know, would you recommend this brand? And there's people whose whole, you know, lives live and die based on whether that number goes up or down. And my question is always, yes, that's valuable to know. I would also like to know, do you recommend this brand? You know, and what's the other side? What are they doing unprompted out, out in the wild? And I think that's part of it from a voice of the consumer standpoint is to actually get that voice, not the voice that you're prompting them for, but what is their actual natural voice out loud? Because what someone says in a preference study to you, you want to know if it's different out in the wild if they're not saying it, you know, somewhere else, or if they are saying it, or if the demographic is underrepresented or overrepresented. And I think part of that is a want for like the authenticity and the honesty around what the consumers are doing. And I think that that idea of, of voice of the consumer, I, I put it philosophically, you know, to kind of really kind of go 30,000 foot view here and say philosophically, I feel like it's kind of in a way about advocacy as in understanding the audiences that you care about and whose behavior you're hoping to change, but being very honest about you know, who they are, who they, who they wish to be seen as, and how they're actually making decisions, and not just looking at it through the stats we're used to looking at. You know, We look at the web stats, and it goes, okay, great, that tells us about people who found the website, went to the website. What about what happened before they got there? You know, what can we do to illustrate the rest of the consumer journey? What can we do to, to understand, you know, where they're at attitudinally? And I think, and I know you've addressed this on, on the podcast before, but, you know, part of this really is this idea of how much far ahead are they than us in terms of thinking of healthcare as a transaction in a more retail mindset, for example. And so understanding that, not purely as a reactive thing of just, well, what do they leave us a bad review on Facebook because they had a bad time at the ER, but rather how does someone who's been diagnosed with breast cancer talk on breastcancer.org among other peers and understanding things through the lens of condition-specific message boards, places we might not typically look and not typically think about that people are on asking questions and reading about their diagnosis or whatever the case may be. But the idea that all that's knowable, right? Like their voice is out there. It's like, up, it's up to us to ignore it and choose not to hear it. And so for our part, it's about, 
approaching it with like a mixed methodology. So it's the idea of, hey, don't just do the survey. Do the survey, but then also see what they're saying unprompted. So you get both sides of that picture. And I think it's, to me, that's where you're going to get the really honest, the really honest element of what the actual voice is. And then you get a good sense of, hey, what is the real reality that we're dealing with here so we can make better decisions? Yeah, there's a lot to it there. So kind of the flip side of that, where do you think healthcare organizations are struggling the most because it makes logical sense to me what you just described the need for this. Where are we struggling? Yeah, I think uh, I think it really comes, it's two, two things. Number one is habit. I mean, I honestly think we get so ingrained internally in healthcare about doing whatever it is that we've been doing for five, 10 years, whatever it is. And it is really hard to get out of those habits. And one of those habits, just to put it out there, isn't necessarily just on the, the, the Marcom side of things. It's just like the habit of healthcare data silos. You know, Danny Fell and I talk about this all the time, this idea that like half the time you even have all the data you need to make a decision. It just is housed under about five different departments, none of whom play really well together. So just even those habits of data being walled off, the habits of making decisions without all of the data in front of you is, is a big part of that. The second thing, though, I would say that is kind of one of the biggest pitfalls is this idea of, of sort of overvaluing or overtrusting the typical data that we we tend to get. And, you know, for example, I mean, back in the day, you know, you put up a billboard, you know, or an ad in the paper, and the ROI on whether or not anybody showed up and made an appointment was like, how many eyeballs got on that billboard or potentially saw that ad? And that's sort of how it was all judged. And this idea that nobody did anything else in between that. We're still guilty about that. You know, we build personas off of our web stats without thinking about the fact that there's an awful lot of people that haven't been to our website yet that then we're not including in building our personas. Or we build really chunky personas. And this is a, a you know a whole soapbox that Alan Shoebridge and I always get on, you know, where people build a whole persona around millennial Millie. <laughs> Millennials are not homogenous. They really span a wide age range right now. And so this idea that we tend to like look at things through these like really simple lenses where I think a lot of our audiences are really complex. And, you know, again, it's that, it's that want to draw out that voice. And it's, it's important to right now because, you know, like we mentioned, like the, and I think Rob Klein, dear friend Rob Klein, for now I'm just feeling like I'm name dropping, but Rob Klein always loves to say it. It's such a great line. It's consumers learned retail faster than healthcare learned retail. And we are on their back foot now while consumers are already thinking of healthcare in a transactional way. And they're thinking about it the way they're thinking about other purchases and other things in their life. And I feel that is part of this pitfall. And maybe this all still wraps up together, you know, maybe with a way to really put it is the kind of blinders we sometimes have on in healthcare, where we treat healthcare so precious and not realize what is the actual day-to-day lives of the consumer like, and then what lens are they using to look at us? And I feel like the more we can kind of throw those off, right, throw those blinders off and be more open to connecting the dots internally from a data perspective of being really honest about where the voice of the customer is is at. I think that's what's going to serve us. That's what's going to get through this. And honestly, it's going to be what maybe makes it so that a disruptor doesn't come and just eat your lunch tomorrow is having a good sense of that. I mean, and you know, part of it is it's practical, right? I mean, everybody's wearing so many hats. Like I totally get it, right? And, and those habits 
internally are hard to change. But I think part of it is recognizing the limitations, whether it's the type of data that you've got and whether you feel like you have the full picture. Everybody's got someone internally whose entire job, not entire job, but part of their job is to respond to reviews. The problem is if you do that all day, you will start to think that's the only thing people say about you online. Reviews are a one-way street, though. I mean, especially in healthcare, I mean, people are looking for discussions around, they're talking to other moms, for example, in a, you know, maybe on the bump or whatever the, you know, a demographic-specific message board. And to only look through the lens of reviews and think that you're seeing all of social media, it's like a forest from the trees problem. And so I think that a lot of these cases, right, It part of this is our day-to-day the data of just the average like Marcom person in a hospital, all you're doing is putting out fires. And so I think part of it is is having like the discipline and the opportunity to sort of pull back and audit. Hey, wait, what, you know, are we just really looking out of like a small hole drilled in the side of the fence of like, you know, consumer behavior? Or are we like seeing the whole baseball game? And I think that's, uh, there's something to that, to just taking a breath, right? And like really looking at what, what are you not seeing? We've worked with clients before who, you know, have made comments like, hey, we we did the same survey over and over again every single year. We see a number going down, so we know what is going on but we have no idea why. We have no clarity on the problem whatsoever. We just know that there's a problem. That's something I'm hopeful for, that that people get to like maybe at most year two, but certainly not year five, (laughs) still saying, I still don't know what that problem is. You know, the idea that we have the the moment to take a breath and, and think, and, and some of it is knowing that there's other tools to use, knowing that there's other, you know, ways to approach it, but it takes a moment to have to pause. And I totally get like, that's not, it's hard in this environment right now. There's a, a fact here, you know, just a realism, I guess, that this type of line of thinking, the skills and competencies that are needed to do this well, they're not necessarily, especially when we just talk about voice of the consumer research, you're talking about external and internal audiences, that doesn't tend to be in the DNA of most healthcare organizations, I think it's safe to say. And again, it's not a knock or a slide on anyone. It's just like you said, how many other things have we been charged with understanding and and just adding to our plate in addition to all the existing things? So in my mind, we have an opportunity here. We do make the case in a lot of our episodes here that the average marketing or Marcom person can play a, a role here. And it's not out of the realm of possibilities. It's very much related to what we're doing day to day in a lot of cases. But there are some skills and core competencies there that that we need to develop. What do you think, like when when you're working with somebody uh, and maybe you're introducing this whole, like how this works to them, what skills or competencies are you seeing that, okay, like these are the things that are helping them be successful with the information that they're receiving from this research? No, that's a, a great question. I think that, you know, first off, it's someone who has an appreciation for, or just making data-driven decisions, right? I mean, just even that alone. And even if it's not about them being like an expert analyst themselves, but the idea of getting into a rhythm that you don't want to make, but so many decisions just based on your gut, right? Like too many times in a row. From a skill set standpoint, though, I do think, you know, that that keen sort of analytical mindset is, is certainly great for that. But I think the other thing is being able to Find partners that can work with you to make sure that that the data you're getting is something actionable, and you can take one, you could take a couple looks at it and go, "This is nice to know, but it's not a have to know." You know, it's not something we can actually act on. And I think part of that is understand someone who can 
find out where the gaps in the data are. And, and so, for example, I, my favorite, one of my favorite phrases I say a lot is zero is a data point. And it can be a really helpful data point, whether it's, hey, we did a survey, but this particular demographic isn't really represented in our end. Or it's a, we know a lot about this, you know, the, how this service line works and how people are making their decisions. But this one over here, we know very, very little. I think someone who can really identify those gaps and then know ways to fill them is super important. We find gaps, you know, in our data where, for example, we might find, man, there's an awful lot of loud folks of these segments, but we're not seeing a lot of this particular important stakeholder talking right now. So for us, it's about identifying that and saying, hey, this should be an opportunity for you to go do some interviews or a focus group around this particular stakeholder because their voice isn't being heard in a larger community, which also, spoiler alert, it could be an opportunity for you to create a community for that gap. But I think that, that yeah, that skill set of recognizing not just like MacGyvering your decisions based on the data you do have or what you have in front of you, even skill set wise, but then also to be able to recognize those gaps. That's an important skill set. I don't think I don't think we teach it like all that well because, you know, we're like so because we're always putting out fires all the time. It's this idea of like you throw it together with what you have. But I think that being really analytical and, and finding those gaps is a really critical, that's a really critical skill I see, especially in what I would call sort of the best practices of the leaders that we've worked with. And they're, I'd say it's not even just finding the, the gaps, they're tenacious about filling them. It's saying, I actually can't make this decision until I fill this gap. That's a really different mindset, but I think I really appreciate it. And I think it is the right one especially right now in this era of like just such quick transformation. You can only fly in your gut, but so much. Yeah, that's so true. That's really encouraging to me because I didn't hear anything there that somebody couldn't make room for even a little bit at a time and incrementally gain some of these skills. I didn't hear you saying, all right, you got to go back, get your, your PhD. What I don't do wish cool? that on anyone. Cool? <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, and hopefully we do, you know, side note, I do hope we see more professional education and, and programs that are addressing this head on. And I, I do know they're out there. I, you know, I look forward to those proliferating more. Uh, but, you know, these are, these are some steps that are doable in almost any case. And you mentioned the mindset. I think that's an important piece. When we're talking about how to build those consumer muscles, that's really what we're talking about. These are, these are just skills. They're things we have to learn along the way. They can be done a little bit at a time, but we do need to get our reps in and understand how to do some of these things, how to incorporate. If we're not used to data-driven decisions, to your point, how to start doing that, how to even create a, pull some simple insights and ignore the rest of the data, that is a skill in and of itself. Being able to pinpoint the, the worthwhile data, turn that into an insight and say, here's still what we know and what we don't know. You can still create a story to tell almost anything you want with data. And so that that is a skill in and of itself. And then, yeah, you just have the ability to also receive that information and say, okay, cool, thank you for providing those insights. I see the data that it's based on. Now it's time to implement it. <laughs> yeah. Now I have to do something about it. That's kind of the, the other side of that. Is, is that one of those other ways that we can help build those consumer muscles is like learning to implement? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, it, I was just thinking, I mean, this, this phrase may be helpful or maybe not, maybe it won't be, but I feel like it's in a way it's being comfortable with not being satisfied. I don't mean be dissatisfied, but as in basically being willing to look for those gaps is in, is in part to it may feel uncomfortable to say I don't know, 
But I think that is one of the most powerful statements you can make. And then when you do, you are able to fill that gap. The trick is having that team or having that skill set that to implement correctly based on what you're seeing and knowing that it may mean you have to shuffle some chairs around, right? I mean, you know, if you find out that, man, what these folks really want are, is this kind of content they're begging for, they're asking these questions and no one's answering them, then it's about being willing to go, you know what, we may have had our focus over here, but we need to shift this content focus this way. It takes a lot of self-awareness, I think, to put yourself in that position and being willing to change. And I feel like that's got to become the norm, right? I mean, because change is is not going to stop you know, happening around us. But I think being willing to reallocate, whether that's just pure people power or that's really reallocating funds, but not being satisfied, filling those gaps, and then making a data-driven decision, I think is going to mean being incredibly flexible about how you're using your team. And so a lack of rigidity is going to be really important, I think, going forward. It will only become more important. Couldn't agree more. Well, I'll tell you what, I know you're a frequent speaker at conferences. You recently spoke at HMPS. Uh, can you recap some of those main points from your session? Do you mind just diving into that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it got to be, it was a fun buddy cop movie with my old friend, uh, Danny Fell, who from Optum, who he and I talked about not just the need for big data, but what we called thick data. And it's a lot of what I've sort of talked a little bit about today, but the idea is, hey, don't just be satisfied with large statistical quantitative data, but always have a mixed methodology that includes qualitative to pull out the stories, but then also to really kind of help validate things. And part of that is is many of the things that we've already talked about uh, really here today, but, you know, just this idea of being sure to mix your methodologies to secure not only, you know, your confidence in your decisions, but also to help you find the stories that then are going to help you plan content execute content, you know, put them on the right channels. And, you know, just that idea of taking a more an in-depth look at the kinds of research that you're doing and, and making sure that it's all ser- uh, serving you. And then really the other biggest takeaway was much of what we said, which is knocking down silos. T- you know, take this data, create this thick data, and then use it to go in and offer it around for buy-in and other departments. Say, hey, look, here's the study we did. Share those studies. Start trying to knock down those walls so that everyone's sharing that data and, and has that buy-in. You know, everybody can, you know, all boats rise then. I love that because in my experience, you can't just wait around for someone else to break down those silos. <laughs> you have to be that's the one right, right. bringing something to the table and saying, look, here, here's our rallying point. Here's why I want you at the table and you at the table. And we don't usually sit at the table together. But here, look, here's a little piece. Here's something I want to share. We have more aligned goals than we realize. And seriously, magic happens at that point. When you get the right people at that table and you change the conversation, but it takes somebody to start that at any level before it really starts to snowball. To your point of just having empathy for the day-to-day, in-the-trenches work that's happening every day, rather than this thought of, oh, man, one more thing that's piled on, one more thing I have to learn more about. There's still a lot going on here, and there's an opportunity right here, right now, to completely transform the way healthcare is engaged with, the way it's presented, the way it is actually coming to life in people's day-to-day lives and the choices they make. So I'm, I'm curious where you think all of this all this work, we just broaden it out to, we, we've talked a lot about the voice of consumer research aspect of it, understanding consumers, understanding their choices. Then there's additionally, as we do that, what types of experiences are we going to design and build after that? 
So there's a few different components of it. I kind of lump all that in with this umbrella term of consumer transformation because it is so long term. <laughs> there's a lot of culture change involved in that too. But say all of this continues to build momentum and we see a lot of progress. What do you think this destination is? Like, Where do you think all this progress can get us? What can we look back at hopefully in a couple of years from now and say, oh, look, here's where we are. And look, that's where we were not too long ago. Thank goodness we've been doing all this work. What do you think that destination looks like? Wow. Well, I tell you the one thing I think it is, and this is not going to make some people happy, but I really think it is. It's going to be a redefinition of quality. Because I think that on the healthcare side of the fence, we treat quality as this incredibly precious term that means something very specific. And it, you know, whether we're talking about medical proficiency, you know, whatever it is, number of US news flags you can hang on the front of your building, whatever that is. And what I think we've got to understand, and this is already shifted, this isn't like, oh, it's shifting or it's going to next year. Like this is already shifted, which is for the consumer. A part of quality is convenience. And so what I'm hopeful for of where we get is that we understand that regardless of what we'd like the definition of quality to be, that if we can meet the consumer at the point where quality includes the kinds of convenience, whether we're talking timeliness, because, you know, we may say, oh, wait times, that's not quality, you know, that's a different operational issue. Yes, well, wait times if you have a very painful infection is more than just about convenience. Like that's pain. And so I'm my hope is that when we get a few years out from here, that if we allow ourselves to be flexible and meet the patient where they are with that definition of quality, we will actually end up improving what we used to what we used to think of as quality as a part of that. And it means that we will be providing on a level and at a at a rate, for that matter, from the standpoint of speed, that will be helpful for everyone involved. But for me, it's that it's that word quality that I get I it can hang us up, but the consumer's not hung up about it anymore. And so I that's that's my hope is that in a few years we can meet that, meet where that lies. And I think everyone will benefit. I, I genuinely just want to express thanks for leading this charge in part because we weren't talking about this a few years ago. We weren't even talking about it much at all before the pandemic. And why, uh, while we were all in agreement at some point that, yeah, I'm sure that's important, there wasn't a path. There wasn't anyone really saying to the masses, here's how we can start. And here's a direction. So I appreciate that being able to share that destination with us. And I really want to thank you for all the time you've given us today, Dean. Uh, before we go, I know some of our listeners will likely want to connect with you. What's the best way for them to reach you and learn more about feedback? Yeah. So me personally, Dean Brell, I'm on, on LinkedIn, the only one named that. So that should be easy. And for feedback, discoverfeedback.com, all one word, lots of stuff there to at least get you thinking. And yeah, please feel free to reach out. I, I clearly love talking, so I'm happy to answer any questions. Well, we really appreciate that. With that, that's a wrap for this episode. I've had the pleasure of speaking with Dean Browell from Feedback. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please spread the word. Tell your colleagues to tune in for all the awesomeness, then leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This show is produced by Shift Forward Health, the channel for changemakers. Subscribe to Shift Forward Health on your favorite podcast app, and you'll be subscribed to our entire library of shows. See our full lineup at shiftforwardhealth.com. One subscription, all the podcasts you need, and it's all for free. And remember, we might have a lot of work to do in healthcare, but we'll get there faster together. Thanks again. 